Live from the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, it's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast with your host, Adam Cruz. Welcome, welcome everybody to the St. Louis Realtor Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Cruz, and of course, as always, I got my co-host with me, Shannon St. Pierre. Hello. And we're very excited. Today, we're going to talk about a, quite a hot topic. It's all about credit and credit scores, and we've got our very special guest here, Ben Dodd. Welcome, Ben. Thanks for having me. And Ben, you're the president of Freedom Credit Solutions? That's correct. Awesome. Okay. Tell us, can you tell us a little bit about your company? Um, we are a credit remediation company. We're an attorney-backed firm that uh, has been in business for approximately six years. Um, but I came from the mortgage industry. I have about 19 years in that. So I'm well-versed on mortgage lending as well as the credit that's required to, um, you know, help clients obtain mortgage financing. So. so you said it's a credit remediation company. What that means is you guys are all about helping people improve their credit? That's correct. Yes. And in all aspects of it. So we look at credit as a whole where um, we don't just, you know, help them repair the negative things. We're also trying to identify some places where they can help improve their credit themselves. Maybe they don't have enough trade lines or maybe they're utilizing some credit that doesn't score quite as well or they're utilizing credit the wrong way. I know we're looking forward to getting into asking you what all that stuff means. But so tell me, what does it mean? You said you're an attorney backed firm. I guess that means some. There's some credit companies out there that are just like some guy in their basement, and then there's some professional ones like yours? C- correct, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people can write letters, and they say they can do this on their own. They, they can. I've rarely seen somebody that's able to do it, um, you know, successfully. It, you're kind of set up to fail on that. But uh, having an attorney is, I think, a must. There's just some things that, uh, you know, you can you can challenge companies to make them do the right things or report properly on your credit, but they just won't respond and do things the right way. And unfortunately, you do have to take legal action sometimes. And we have two full-time attorneys on staff. So, well, let's start. Let's kind of start from the beginning. Um, I guess just give us a quick overview. What is credit? You know, for our listeners, history. Like yeah. Why yeah. we started it. Right. So, credit was brought about to. Um, really to report negatives. It was brought about by the banking industry so that uh, they could justify charging higher interest rates for loans. And it, that would be anything, mortgages or uh, personal loans or loans for equipment. Back then, it was lots of farming equipment, things so like that. So if someone had a, a negative like <clears throat> notch against them on their credit score, then they would charge them more, That's higher correct. interest. Yes, sir. But that still remains true. It remains true. Um, the government tried to get involved on a couple of things. And what what was established was, um, you know, what we have now is the three, what we call big, big three credit reporting agencies. And that's, uh, you know, obviously TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. Well, these companies are, they report data that's given to them by creditors. So that's why they call it a credit report. So you have your credit cards, your student loans, your mortgages, your autos, your, and then now what's more prevalent is now collections are even reporting on there. And then that data is reported to, you know, uh, you know, companies that have scoring models, the biggest one being Fair Isaac, which is called FICO. It's commonly known as FICO, and they have, they have scoring models. And I'm a FICO certified professional, which means I'm certified and do continuing education on all the different FICO algorithms. So what you'll find is there's different scores for everything you buy. So when the, the credit reporting agencies report the data to FICO, they're the ones that report the scoring. So it's not the credit reporting agencies that report the score. It's FICO. 
and then they take and put that score on their reports, and uh, that's what people utilize to, you know, obviously compute what the interest rate's going to be for certain things that you buy. And again, mortgages, autos. And so historically, like you said that the, it was used to report anything negative. Yes. Um, but so now, is it to report? negative and positive and if you don't have positive is it a negative if you don't have the positive exactly it's that's also a negative if you don't have enough credit or the right types of credit you'll see you'll see score deficiencies so um, but it is there's evidence that it's still there for reporting negatives because let's say for instance you pay 12 months on time payments on pretty much anything a credit card but you get 130 day late you don't see your 12, time, 12 months on time payment, you know, shooting your score up 60, 70 points. But you get one 30-day late payment, you will see a significant drop in, in your credit score, 60 points possibly. And that, that lends to the fact that it is there to report negatives. So does everyone start, you're born, right? Do you start with a zero or do you start with perfect credit? That's uh, a great question. Uh, you start with zero, meaning you have to have in order to score. You, you don't start with zero credit, really, in, but whenever you I establish see, I, credit. So I got one back for a rental application. It had a dash, dash. Right, right. So, and again, you have to establish credit to have credit, for one. So with no credit, you do start at pretty much a zero. As far as the score, the score was something that was brought about within the past 10 years, really, that's been utilized. So the score does, the scoring algorithm does take six months of recent uh, positive reporting credit in order to get a score. So if you just established, let's say, a Capital One credit card and you've only made three payments on it and that's the only credit you have, you still will not have a score, not until it reaches six months okay. will it score. And then that score will be, the data will be uh, will come from how you've managed that credit card for the past six months. Okay, so, so when I was take a minimum of six months. Yes, ma'am. Okay, I've heard three months. And to maintain that. it, so let's say you stop utilizing credit, but you have old credit history, but it's you know a couple of years old, and you haven't had any recent credit, and you haven't paid on it, you will start to lose your scores again because you have to constantly use it or you lose it type situation. Okay, so. I, there's so I've got so many questions here. So a, um, you need to have some sort of credit. So I think when I was in high school, my dad opened a credit card in my name, and like you know, only for me to use to buy like gas for my car and stuff like that. Was yes. that a good move? Is that what people should do for their kids now? That's an excellent move. Ten percent of your scoring model is based on the length of credit history, so how long it's been established. So in your case, you know, you you established credit quite some time ago, and, it, yeah. and it's definitely benefited you. Okay. As long as it's utilized correctly in the right way. That's the other part of my question there. You said something like you have to use it or it's a negative against you too. Does that mean you have to use your credit in general? Or if I have a credit card, I have a credit card now that I don't use, but I'm like afraid to close it because I heard that it helps my debt-to-income ratio. It, 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 what it helps is that it gives you available credit. So you have two different – the scoring model looks at two different things. It looks at – um, available credit, and uh, it computes it on individual accounts, and then it also computes it on a balance sheet type uh, situation where they add everything together and figure out what your what your utilized credit is versus your available credit. So closing an open trade line with available credit, it's always it, it, there's no benefit to doing that, but there's lots of benefit to keeping it open because it is that amount of available credit. But what you'll find is that. If you don't use the credit card, the person who will shut it off is the creditor that extends the credit. Mm -hmm. And again, they're doing that to try and spur you to use it. So credit, 
utilization is is what the credit cards obviously want. They want you to use their card and run money through it. That's why, let's say, all this you know bonus and cash back rewards. This is that's where they came about. This is just again another reason for them to spur you to use their cards. You know, um, and so if you don't use the credit, you'll find that they'll shut that that extension of credit to you off um, so, so is that a negative if uh, because i have had a few of those you know how you i opened like it, it, you if, know for example an old navy card way back in the day right, right? and i didn't so it's actually inactive and right. closed by the creditor I so i'd like to address safe. those there's two points that you brought up that you may not know so the first thing is that yes um if it, all credit is different so again where he had a, a credit established a long time ago um you know closing that card might hurt your scoring model uh, a little bit more because after it falls off, you lose that length of history because you quit using it, and then it, that trade line will go away after a period of time, and he loses that benchmark of 19-whatever where okay. that card was open. So that length of history drops off without so 19 years open. of credit history now drops off, and now it goes to the it falls to the, the other longest term, yes, which may only be five years. Yes, ma'am. And, okay. and you lose that available credit again off your balance sheet and on that trade line. So, but in a case of if you have established credit, let's say you have six other credit cards, and all those are really low utilization, and you've you've kept those and maintained those well, dro- that little card like that dropping off is not probably going to make a dent at all in your like credit. an old navy card. Yeah, and so that's my other point. So old navy and and any of the retail Target. store charges are considered charges. They're not credit cards. They're not bank revolving cards. They're considered retail store charges. Those can actually negatively impact your credit. You know, and people, consumers have no idea. So carrying a so, balance on those cards, regardless, let's say you have a $10,000 limit on your Kohl's card, but you carry $10 on it, it's immediately going to drop your score because it considers the FICO scoring model considers that poor utilization of credit because no retail store card is brought out below 24.9% interest. So why would you get your 20% off Bed Bath & Beyond uh, coupon, go and buy something, and then carry a balance on your credit card at 25%? That's poor utilization of credit. So those actually hurt you. The people, if you're going to carry a balance, you want to do that on a bank-backed revolving card or what they call a credit card. So charge accounts and credit cards are scored differently on the FICO scoring model. Oh, that's super interesting. I actually had no idea. See, so I didn't I'm know okay that, with either. getting. So it's totally okay to let those cards go because close them down. Me. It sounds like. Oh well, I right. never use them. Well, I use my one credit card. Again, the available credit card is good, but you're supposed to use those. We call those. We have a term, have and we tell to go our to consumers. Navy and use my right. one little charge. Like right, get it. right. Like, yeah, we we um, you know we tell our clients we call them something different. We call them cash management cards. We want you to use that and look at it as managing your cash for 30 days. Okay. Use it how it's supposed to be established. It's, it's made to be used and paid off in full at the end of the 30-day period of time with no interest. Using it that way and keeping it open, if you have a $500 limit, you still have $500 of available credit. So in that sense, it helps your credit. But And you're still talking about the Old Navy card. I'm talking about any – If you have an Old Navy card with a $500 limit with zero balance, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. Okay. Even using it and paying it off prior to that 30-day mark is not a bad thing. Okay. It's yeah, where they you carry you a hard. balance. It's where you carry a balance. It, it's, because it just – the FICO scoring model, especially if, let's say, if you've got a Bank of America card or an Amex, it doesn't understand why would you use a card and carry a balance at 25% interest when you've got other available options as well. Yeah, and I don't know why I would get an old Navy card and use that when I could just use my Visa. Exactly. Right. Which is why a lot of those have gone to the wayside. Even for yeah. me, like those were opened up a long, long time ago. But 
any yeah, it's high better to put, I put everything on one for one. It's just easier convenience of paying at the end of the month. And yeah, I mean, just putting everything on one card versus managing. And, and you have to understand that the scoring models are, again, they're, they're scored off of what the data is that's given to them by the, the credit reporting agency. So how you pay and when you pay is also a factor. Okay, let's on talk about scores. that. Because that, yes. I've heard a myth, or maybe. So <laughs> factor fiction, if you. So my credit card, say, is due on the 25th. If I pay on the 25th, is that a negative? Do I need to pay? I've heard that you need to pay 10 days sooner or something of the sort. I, I'd like to think I might have spread that, that uh, information around. So you're exactly true on that. Uh, trended data is now the new, I guess, buzzword in credit, and uh, it's being utilized what is that even. Word? Trended data. Trended? Trended data. Okay. So they're looking at your, they've actually, uh, FICO, on my last you know, FICO, uh, you know, continue education, I was told about trended data by a FICO professional that came to speak to everyone. And trended data, they've, they've uh, started using a new algorithm, and they've got several which are pretty mind-blowing, but they, they've looked at how people pay, when they pay, and how much they pay, and from that, they're able to compute within $8,000 what people's annual income is. It sounds wow. shocking, but they're 92% accurate on that in an 8,000-person study. So that's pretty wild. I mean, that's <laughs> interesting. So are they, but they don't they don't actually already have that information. Now, somehow, so somehow? now they have it, but they've never utilized it in this sense. So okay, they're actually taking that and applying it to the credit scoring model. So if you let's say, and they've broken it down into three different classes. There's a seasonal spender, which should be self-explanatory, right? Yeah, Some, cre- you, yeah, credit cards are used more on on for going on vacation in the summer, and then there's a spike around the holidays. Uh-huh. Okay, so. If, if uh, somebody uses their credit card for that, but they start paying it off right away and they're paying more than minimum balance, they consider that a seasonal spending thing. And it really doesn't affect your credit as, as much as, you know, just having high interest or, or high balances throughout the year. Um, let's say you maintain lower balances throughout the year except for those two spikes. That's a seasonal spender. Then there's what they call a revolver. Now, Revolver is somebody that has to utilize their credit and seemingly needs that revolving credit in order to maintain their lifestyle, meaning they're probably not making enough income to where if they had no credit cards, they wouldn't be able to meet their monthly expenses or their, or their spending habits now. So that's considered Revolver, and they determine that by people that pay on or after their due date, and they're usually paying minimum balances, and they have multiple credit cards that are usually at higher limits. So that obviously shows, hey, I can't afford to pay more than minimum payment this month on those, but I'm carrying balances. Also, they're commonly, they keep using them and putting more stuff on and still maintaining minimum balance. And when you pay, you have to keep in mind that a payment to somebody is only considered paid when the money is in their bank. So you rarely do we, do we go to Visa and pay our money in cash to Visa. Then it would count as a payment right then and there. If you're paying online... Um, and you're paying it on the due date, you're thinking, I paid it on the due date. I'm on time. But if you read the fine print, even if you're paying it online, it says allow 7 to 10 days for your payment to post. That's because paying it online doesn't mean that the bank immediately transferred the money into their account and they have it. So they have the right to not report it to the credit reporting agencies as a payment made and lower your balance until they receive the money. So for that reason... Usually, it does not reflect the new payment that you made by the time it reports to the credit reporting agencies because they report, let's say your due date's the 15th. Mm-hmm. They'll report it literally midnight on the 16th or midnight of the 15th. They're going to report it as the 16th, right first thing in the morning, 
as, late? Th- as whatever that balance is. No, it's not reporting it late to the credit reporting agencies. They're just not reporting that you made the payment. So let's say you made $150. Your balance, you made a $150 payment. Your balance will not reflect the lowered $150 amount on there because you paid it on the due date because they do not have to report it as paid until the money's in the bank. That's why we tell people pay 10 days in advance. They'll have the money by the time they report it to the credit reporting agencies, and you get credit for your payment at that point. In time. Okay, so let me ask you. I, I have it all set up now through my credit card's website to auto-pay to yep. where they're connected to my bank. They're sucking the money from my bank. I'm not getting – this will, is bad? No, nope. oh, yeah, you will. They will not let you – and they will not let you pay 10 days in advance on auto-pay. You only get to pay on the due date, and that's because it's by design. Oh, they, that's right, because it's just auto pay. Right. So I thought, hey, they're sucking it right out of my account. This is like a great thing. No, I should cut. They're, they're taking your payment at that time, but they're not. They're not reporting, reporting. it as. So credit. I should turn off the auto pay and start manually paying ten days in advance, or use your bank auto. The, your banks. No, I don't think there is a bank out there that doesn't allow you to do some sort of bill pay services through them. Yeah, I used to set it up to where the bank would auto pay. Uh, you know like whatever the minimum was, just so I would never forget. I never wanted to be late, so I'd set it up to my bank, would automatically just pay the minimums, and then I would then pay it in full. Right. Um, but I I guess I should... So that's exactly what I do. Just in case I forget, I have the auto pay, but I try to go in there a few right. days or and that's fine. and pay and, it off. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. That's a great safety net because let's say you do forget to pay your Visa card, but it's set up to pay whatever the minimum payment due is. At least that's a safety net to where if you forget it, you're not ever going to show a 30-day late because you yeah. forgot that. So that's not necessarily a bad thing, but then you're double paying on some stuff. and uh, you know. But if you set it up through your, through your bank, there's a couple of reasons why it's better. Some people set up auto pays and they use a debit card as what's auto paying. Well, if you lose your debit card, you forget that no longer is it going to pay because that debit card is gone because you got a new debit card. So the auto pays that you set up using a debit card are forgotten. Now you have the p- possibility of showing a 30-day late because you forgot to go back to everybody and renew that credit card and, on there. But if you run it through your bank, you know you, you still have control of it through your bank, and, and you're not changing your bank or your bank accounting number that often. So you're usually set up better for that. So you keep talking about the algorithm. Do you actually know what the algorithm is for the computing the credit score, or is that very uh, secretive? Have <laughs> he told us he'd have to kill us? No. Yeah, well, like- it's so confusing. There's no way anybody could really know it. I mean, it's a computer model. Um, the amount of data that they take in is astronomical. I mean, it's, it's uh, pretty extensive, and the way it computes it, because everybody's credit is literally different, it's, it's hard for me to predict down to the – you know, point of score, what it is, but they make it confusing for a reason, I'm sure. But um, there's different scoring models for everything, though. There are no, uh, for instance, if you pulled a mortgage credit report with TransUnion, that mortgage credit report will not match Experian's credit scoring model because they both have different scoring models, especially for them. We call them boutique models. TransUnion says, I'm not using Experian's credit scoring model. I want my own. Mm -hmm. Equifax says, I don't want to use theirs. So they all use three different versions of a FICO scoring model, which is called a mortgage scoring model. Now, mortgage scores are different than auto scores or student loan or credit card or housing, you know, rental. Or I mean, there's there's so many different scoring models, and I am – I would say up to date on on how they're all utilized and what how different what the difference are is are and how they're used. But a mortgage report is the most scrutinized credit report there is, meaning they utilize the most data to compute your score. So for that reason, we love any chance we get to repair a FICO 
mortgage report because it has so much data and the scoring model is so scrutinized. So we know if we're fixing that credit score and that model or that credit report, then we know that it's going to prove pretty much all the scoring models down the road. So, okay. and, and so the mortgage scores are different than, than auto. Auto might focus on, obviously, autos that you've bought in the past, you know. So, and it'll look at maybe some other type of comparative installment loans. But they're looking at how do you use, you know, on some type of secured debt that's paid in a short-term, you know, 60-month type thing. It's going to compare more to that. It's going to ignore any medical, usually ignore student loan stuff. So For you auto? Won't, yeah, so you won't get hit, hit by that as much when you're going to buy a car. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So what about the mortgage? So, yeah, you, mortgage Does is, that take into account the medical bills, everything, the student loans? Everything. Public record, collections, repos, foreclosures, anything and that's it, negative. So student loans come up – well, medical bills do too. But people ask us all the time um, if that – they, how much they affect the credit score, especially student loans. You have a lot of young people trying to buy houses, and they have. So that's that's a large. twofold. That's a twofold question. Mortgage is allowed, let's say, with mortgage financing, but uh, I, the mortgage financing is. Um, uh, they, I believe, they still forgive. I guess medical collections where it's not if they're on there you can still get financing as long as you meet the credit criteria right I, i'm not totally sure okay uh, from what i understand i think fha allows it you can have still have medical collections you'd have, i'd have to research that i'm not sure either but okay. uh but but what it does do is it still hurts the scoring model okay so even if it's okay let's say they allow medical collections and and they don't use it to determine whether you can buy a home or not it's still affecting your credit score because the FICO scoring model, again, is a computer. It doesn't see what the collection is. It looks at a code, and a collection is a code 9. So code 9 is the same for a collection, a charge-off, uh, judgment, foreclosure. All Those are all code 9s. Code 9s have a same score drop for everything. Mm. Then it looks at whether it has a balance or not. And if it has a balance, that's another score drop. And then it looks to see if you have a pass due on it. And if it does, there's another score drop. So a $20 medical collection could – theoretically drop your score just as much as a capital one charge off because it doesn't look at dollar amounts it's looking at those fields and those codes so you have a twenty dollar medical collection or a twenty thousand dollar medical collection it's going to drop your score the same amount crazy and for that purpose you know we always tell people don't just pay that twenty dollar medical collection because even though it's a small amount we want you to you know get the medical collection off instead oh don't just pay it because you guys can get it taken off and then you'll because paying it will only help so much right you gotta, so paying it doesn't take it off? Actually, initially paying it, because it's a third-party collector, actually hurts your score. And the reason why it hurts your score is because it resets that collection as a brand-new collection again. So, yes, it will take the past due and put it at zero. It'll take the balance and put it at zero. But now it'll, it'll still be a code nine. But because you admit it to owing the third-party collector instead of the medical provider, which is who they were collecting for before – it's going to reset that as a date, as a paid medical collection on the day you paid it. So it's going to show up as a new code nine again, and it's going to drop your score. Okay, Which now I'm, you know, that's it's, I know so it's not unfair. fair. So if, right. if a collection company calls you and says, hey, you owe MSD, uh, you know, that's a sewer company. If you owe them 100 bucks, you should say and just hang up on them and call MSD and pay them the 100 bucks, right? If you're really savvy, you can actually set that up to benefit you, but we don't want anybody trying that at home. So... Um, I've actually on my Facebook page on uh, on ours. I've actually done a case study of a medical collection that was just given to me, uh, me personally. I was and I was excited about this because I knew I didn't know it and I knew it was a third party collector. So I played around with it. I, uh, my 
our phones are all set up to record. So I immediately took this this call and I and and she started calling me and she was asking me. Well, this is a collections person calling you. A collection person <laughs> oh, calling man. me about a medical collection for, for a client. $67. For a client. Right. For me. This oh, was for, for me. I personally got one. And so I went on Facebook and oh, I said, ben, I said, here you me. go. I was smiling, holding this collection letter saying, all right, boys and girls, get ready. I'm going to uh-huh. use this as a case study and I'm going to, I'm going to give you play by play on what happens with this. Um, well, they, they got it and the lady called me and I, and I, uh, I, what I'd done is I immediately called the uh, company and they, uh, I only the got a recorded line. The, the collection company. Okay, the right? collection company. They're saying I owed sixty-seven dollars to SSM and from two thousand twelve. I'm sorry, but I don't. I just don't know them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, uh, regardless, but uh, so I, I immediately call and they say, "Yeah, I'm calling. This is, uh, you know, this is my name. Here's your file number." Again, the key here is not to give them any of your private information because the collectors, third-party collectors, are generally just giving your name and the hospital and the amount owed. And they might be getting it secondhand, thirdhand, even fourthhand, and and they're giving your name, your phone number, and uh, or they even look up your phone number and um, you know the amount owed. And the problem with that is, is that in order to report on your credit report, Fair Credit Reporting Act states that they have to have your private information and intimate details of the service or uh, the the creditor account. So, okay, so what does that mean? Well, so they what first is- of all they have to have your full name your current address, your date of birth, and your social security number. Okay, so they have to have all of those minimum to, to even be, able to be on your credit And they don't have it, so they call you and they ask it to verify who you are, but they really need it. That's right. right? And the majority of people start so, going, well, oh, it's – and they're really sharp. I mean, they, they've been trained to do this, and that's why they make hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's also the reason why over the past three years there's been $7.5 billion in double-paid medical debts. It's because they're collecting on medical debts that have already been paid – uh, that haven't been pulled back by the medical billing companies and things like that. But or it's a, they weren't applied correctly? Exactly. Or okay. they were paid past, let's say, a 30-day point. Let's say Blue Cross Blue Shield was a little late. They got it to SSM Healthcare on the 32nd day. Well, the head doesn't talk to the hand. They don't call up, uh, you know, whatever, mid Midwest collection agency and go, hey, oh, by the way, that one's already been paid. Scratch it off their list. They just don't do it. Another so what did you do? Point. You got this letter, and what did you do? I got the letter. I called up, and I verbally said, hey, I'm verbally disputing this. I left a message. Here's your file number. It was for $67 SSM Healthcare. Um, you know, I verbally dispute this, and I expect that there's no further collection activity made, or you can send me validation of the debt in mail to my address. Again, I didn't give them my address. I also you know, sent them a letter to the company with a copy of this. I say, dispute the validity of your, your ability to collect this debt. I dispute that I even owe this debt. I, you know, I have medical insurance. I've always had medical insurance. I always pay my bills on time. If you still feel that you, you know, you have the validity to, or verification to, you know, collect this debt, I expect you mail it to me. And I mailed that to him as well. Well, that's without your address on it either. Without so the no address, return address. Right. No return but I've address. Got a, but they I can sent get it, it from the return address right. envelope. So but I sent it first-class mail. And first-class mail has a receipt that they received it. And that's all that's required. So this is Fair Credit Reporting Act stuff. I also sent it through the mail. Mail's federal. You've got a lot of people that try to dispute online or by phone. They're waiving their Fair Credit Reporting Act rights, and they don't even know it. But I'll get to that again. But the, okay. So the, they, I mailed it to them. It sparked a call. The lady called. It was on a recorded line. I was, couldn't wait. I was really I excited so. to talk to the lady. <laughs> Super nice lady. She followed the first rule of Fair Debt Collection Practice Act. She never was disrespectful to me. She was cordial. And there are good debt collectors out there. There are really good ones cordial. out there. Yeah. There's some that really follow the rules that are 
that have Are been legit. sued and lost, and they know they've really trained their people very well. And they're hard to trip up, you know. But this lady was that. But she says, yes, sir, you, you uh, left us a message regarding she never, she never claimed that I disputed it. So she didn't accept it as a verbal dispute, but I already backed it up in writing. So the key here is that they don't like to accept a verbal dispute because that's all you have to do is verbally dispute something. But she... She crossed the line on that, and she says, no, we need something writing from you. And I said, well, I already have the Senate writing. Well, we didn't receive it. Well, that's okay, because I sent it first-class mail, and I have a return receipt that you did receive it. So that she went, oh, well, I need to have something. What did it say? I need to have something to take back to the person I'm collecting for. I go, ma'am, I don't have to. I verbally disputed it. The fact that you even have my information, I dispute. You know, I don't know where you got my information. Well, because we're collecting. Did you receive the invoice? I said, no, ma'am, I did not receive an invoice. I received a collection notice from your company. Yes, the statement of the amount owed. No, I received a collection letter. See, she's trying to get me to admit that there was an invoice for money owed or there's a statement of money owed. That's a deceptive practice. She just crossed my Fair Debt Collection Practice Act rights. So I have this in right. I have it unrecorded online. And so um, there's some other things she had done also that was deceptive. Of course, she said, well, sir, before I can even continue this call, I must verify who I'm talking to. And she, she did do the disclaimer. This is an attempt to collect a debt. Anything's going to be used for that purpose. But what she did, she said, you know, just so I can verify, I'm talking, this is Benjamin Dodd. I go, yes, it is. And I, she goes, and uh, just so I can verify the records and what I have, what's your date of birth? I go, well, if you have the records, then you know my date of birth. I'm not verifying or validating debt, and I'm disputing the fact that you even have my private information. How did you get it? There's no, where's my pri- I would like you to send me the privacy notice saying that you got it lawfully. And so she says, well, we got it from the medical provider. Okay, great. So what does the medical provider thing say? Does it say why I went there and what happens? Yes, we have your intake. Okay, great. You just violated my HIPAA rights. At no point in time did I sign anything with any medical provider that says I allow them to share my private medical information with anybody third party outside of my doctors or the person in my family that I designate as the person to share. So they violated a ton of my rights right there just because now, the person... Now, were you pointing this out along the way? I didn't point it out to her along the way, no. Okay, what we did you just is like check, check, check. Okay. Set the recording, shared it with my attorney right here at our office. We filed suit, and I'm gonna, that's, that'll be my next update on Facebook is how it goes. So I love it. Oh, you is, filed a suit against them? Oh, absolutely. They violated, they violated several of my rights. And, um, you know, but they're doing this every day then because this is every clearly day. a scripted thing. Thousands right? and so thousands she's just starting of dollars. At the, you received a statement, right? right. Yeah. And you're saying, how is that violating the rights? Because right. most people are like, no, I didn't get anything because... Well, do you like probably- Midwest Collection company knowing that you went to see a podiatrist or that well, you no, went to no. see uh or that you had anesthesia or you know because not the hip meta- i understand right okay well the fact that she's trying to say that you owe something you don't know would that upset you oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah and i'm it, just saying like right. this is so scripted that she right this, she's, all she's trying it. to show that you but she's you, trying to get you to admit to owing the money by saying it's a statement or an invoice by doing that she says well uh, he agreed okay. that he owed me he agreed that he received a statement of a money owed. But you didn't day. receive a statement. So only a lot of people right, probably haven't received a statement. So right. they probably, hopefully, would say, no, I did not receive a statement. Well, but I received the collection notice, which is why I – but it's a collection notice saying I owe SSM Healthcare $67. She says it's a statement or an invoice. They do put invoice on there, but it's not an invoice. It's a collection oh, so notice. So there is a clear difference between the letter that you got in the right. mail and an invoice or a statement. Correct, because it's from a third-party collector. If SSM Healthcare sent me an invoice, that's an invoice. Okay. If, if 
I truly had those medical services, and if I didn't pay those, that's an invoice. I could say, yes, I received your invoice, but I don't owe it. I could dispute it with them. But medical providers never collect their own debts. So, Well, let, let me pause for a second. So how can we follow you on Facebook or wherever so we can see the result of this situation? Right. It's Freedom Credit Solutions on Facebook. So just follow Freedom, Freedom Credit Solutions. Yep. It's and not I, your personal page. No, but my it was me on our my personal page sharing it on our on our uh, website. Company I mean, you, page. Most people can follow me to on facebook it's just benjamin dodd so it's my full name okay but uh yeah it's it's play by play on this um just to let you know they haven't they never took any further action they never i dispute it while i was talking to her that they they better not or else i'll take legal action report on my credit report i toyed around with the idea of letting them put it on my credit report because i wanted to illustrate how much my score dropped because at the time it was a 768 credit score and i wanted to illustrate that it would drop i thought they maybe they would break the rules and go ahead and just put it on the credit report because they often do by the time you get a collection notice it's usually already on your credit report and and the problem with that is is that the law is the law fails you there the fair credit reporting act kind of leaves a window open for them to utilize your credit report as a collection tool so they'll allow them to put it on there because it's the it's a consumer's responsibility to know what's on their credit report and it's the consumer's responsibility to dispute any any unverifiable or you know uh, fraudulent or uh, obsolete data that's on there it's their responsibility to dispute it so if there's collections on there and they don't look up their credit report first of all which you should check your credit at least quarterly if not have monitoring but if they don't look at that and see what's on there and they don't dispute that stuff that means it's allowed to stay on there so the law says that in order to dispute it it also gives these guys 30 days to um, investigate and respond so I would, I would have challenged that or sent out a legal dispute for, for them reporting on my credit report and saying this is unfair, viable, and, and you can't validate this, so I want to remove it immediately. It gives them 30 days ago, oops, he caught us. We don't have, do we have name, address, date of birth, social? Do we have the verifying data from uh, SSM Healthcare saying when he was there, how much he owed, and, oh, we don't have that? Uh-oh, we better remove. So, but it takes that. Otherwise, it stays on credit, and people lose their scoring model, their scores for that. You mentioned kind of the, this. You might be able to use this to your advantage to raise your score. How how do you think that's going to happen? I mean, so using it, to your my it, I used it to my advantage as far as, as, I far thought as removing you said, it would would definitely raise your score because just removing it. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, you got to figure. I've seen medical collections drop um, anywhere. I've seen anywhere from sixty points up to ninety, hundred points, depending on the amount of positive reporting credit that you have to offset that okay. so so if you only got like a if you only have like a car and a credit card and you get a medical collection it's going to drop your score significantly well you, you've mentioned your what your credit score was at the time we keep talking about scores can we go back to the basics for a second and yep. just kind of give me like what is a the credit score range what is there like a bad is below this number good is between these numbers and amazing is above this mm-hmm. number so, well it's all relative so it depending on what you buy. So I wish I had a clear answer for you, and I know it sounds it's like I'm zero attorney, to what though? Yeah. Is it zero to eight fifty? So it doesn't. Uh, let's see. There, the three different scoring models. People often ask me why Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax on a mortgage report, for instance, never match. Mm-hmm. It's because you got Equifax starting at three hundred. You got another one starting at three fifty. One goes to eight fifty. One goes to nine hundred. So oh. it'd be like starting the race staggered. So you're you're never really starting from the same starting line, and you're not going to finish at the same place. So none of the scores. Or ever match up and also you'll find that they don't report the same to all three credit reports you'll find some stuff on transunion and equifax but you won't find it on experian and vice versa so if something's not on there you don't have that data to, to score it again and you know that's 
you know, that's where it's kind of unfair again, but that's where the mortgage industry selects to take the middle score of the three. So they're, they're looking for your. But your average score. customer who wants to improve their credit, what, like what kind of range are they? Um, I mean, we deal with people all the way down into, I mean, we, you know, in-house, we have a record. Somebody was a 343, I think, on mm-hmm. a experience, which it starts at 300. So, I mean, we deal with people there. The difference is not that uh, they can't be helped. The difference is what, why are they late? Why are their scores so low? And, and what do we have to fix? So if it's third-party collections, we find that the people that are at 450 and are at 550, it's not that they're that much different. It's just that they have more. Let's say you have somebody with 10 collections versus five collections. You know, coincidentally, after we send off our first round of legal challenges, we remove a little bit over 45% of all negative items in our first legal challenge, which is generally about 40 days. Well, what that does, it takes a person from 10 down to five and a person from five to about two and a half, let's say. So see, they're catching up in the race. So their scores significantly increase. And it's, it's, it's just because they have more. It's not that anything's worse. You know, it's just that they've got 10 code nines, they have five. So... We find that we can help anybody at any range, but it's if they have, you know, you know, if they have the means, if they have the patience to do it, if they, you know, follow through with our plan that we mm-hmm. give to people, um, we because find that. Because it's a lot of work. Right. Our people that, the people that, and we don't sign every client just because some clients can't be helped. And the people that can't be helped at that time, not that they can't ever be helped, the people that wouldn't be our clients would be people that have six credit cards and they're all currently late on current credit cards. They're just dropped because they have a cash flow problem. It's not a credit issue. It's, it's, it's their cash flow, flow issue. And for that purpose, I'm going to say, don't, take, don't pay us money. There's nothing we can fix. Take that money and pay down a credit card. You know? okay. Those are our clients. That, that so you guys don't do like a consulting. Like, I mean, because those people need your help probably in telling them, stop spending your money the way you do. Yes. Right? Everybody that we get a credit report, whether they, whether they become a client or not, is, is furnished with what we call a plan of action. Okay. That's for credit, any credit repair we can do. But also, like I said, looking at credit as a whole is how can you help yourself and improve it. And somebody who has multiple credit cards with high balances, I would, I would determine what their cash flow is, which they know, and what is their ability to repay this debt. I mean, if they're in financial destitute, it, they may require some sort of relief, like you know, a payment plan, a wage earner plan, or you know, maybe even possibly filing for, you know, bankruptcy of some sort. So that's what bankruptcy is there for. It's, it's, it's a safety net if you do it. And you can recover from it. It just takes a while, you know, to do so. Mm-hmm. So is there like a pat yourself on the back? You've got great credit number. Is it in the sevens? Are you saying it depends? I know. but Yeah. I mean, it, it, one thing, we can help a lot of clients with a lot of things. Um, <clears throat> we have what we call our, our credit elite program. And those are just people that just have to have the best of the best credit scores. Where we have a problem is getting people up in the like 800 range. That really takes that length of credit history. Uh-huh. That's the one thing we can't help you with. We can't. We we couldn't be your dad and get you that credit card right. back right. back in college. We can't be so. that guy, so we can't manufacture that. But um, you know, just like anything else, there are there are things that score higher on a credit report than others. And there's actually, believe it or not, brands of credit cards and types of credit cards that score better than others. Like? We have a database of every credit card that's out there. We know the guidelines to getting the credit card, just like the American Express Black. Everybody says, how do you get that? You know, and, and we know the guidelines to get an American Express Black card. So um, all of them score differently. But obviously, do I really want the American Express Black card, though? I mean, sure. Absolutely. And, and because, because the requirements. Because I will get a higher score? Because it scores I, better because it's, it, the requirements are higher. A city preferred, for instance, is harder to get than Capital One. I always joke around and I say, my people with, you know, in the credit lead program or the, 
or the 800 scores don't have Capital One in their wallet. They just don't, okay? Capital One is a mid to 500 to mid to 600 credit card company, and that's why, that's one of the reasons why they don't report that payment as made on the due dates is because they want them to, they want your credit to appear like you have more on their cards because it's harder to obtain a, a better credit card if you're still utilizing their card so so much. You see what I mean? So, so. I didn't know that credit cards had like a stat. Well, I mean, I do know, you know, the, still, the whole status thing and the black or the diamond or whatever, depending on which one you're talking right. about. But I didn't know it actually impacted your credit. So this is the best one because I'm going to try to get it. Yeah, actually, I am probably going to go apply. So this is more of a recent (laughs) development on the on the more recent ones. It's not really published that they go by brand of card, Um, and it's not really published really that they're supposed to discriminate on you having credit cards. It's being revolving. But what they separated was they started separating things out. Um, Obviously, the retail store charges are going to be separate than a bank backed credit card. Mm-hmm. And what is determined as bank-backed credit cards, U.S. Bank, Bank of America is a bank-backed card. But there's some cards that are underwritten by just one bank. You know, like Synchrony Bank will underwrite a lot of visas, okay? And mm-hmm. they're called visas and MasterCards, but they're, they're by Synchrony Bank and so on and so forth. Your city, your city and all that stuff, what they're looking at is what are the requirements to get these cards, really? Is, is there a higher requirement there? And that's because it takes a certain amount of income. And it takes a, a certain credit score in order to get these cards. And so utilizing those cards are going to be better than utilizing your credit one or your, you know, uh, freedom card or whatever the heck it is. And there's just some cards that just, I mean, they give to people starting out. There's secured credit cards. A secured credit card is not going to score as well as a unsecured credit card, right? And so there's that. Uh, payday loans, that's an installment loan. But again, it's a very high interest installment loan. It's considered poor utilization of credit. Why would the person need that if they're not in some sort of financial destitute? It drops your score. You got to understand the score is a snapshot in time of your ability to finance and, and how close you are to some sort of financial distress. So if you're, if you got payday loans and you're consistently putting them on and paying them off, okay, that shows that you can't maintain your current level of existence without getting some sort of help. And unfortunately your only turn to help is a 50% to hundred percent interest rate, you know, uh, source of credit. And so that's going to hurt your score. Uh, why do I use a 20% interest, you know, capital one where I could use a nine or 10%, you know, a uh, city preferred card. So, uh, or Chase Sapphire, you know, those cards obviously are lower interest and, and better utilization. So of credit. Chase Sapphire, Chase Sapphire is a good one. City preferred is good. I have, uh, so all my cards are city right now. So should City's I great. upgrade to preferred? No, no. They, I mean, it, I don't, they'll, they'll offer it. And again, those are just names on the cards. Those well, are names mine, on the Okay, cards, so, so let's go back to... Let me go with that specific. Chase Sapphire Reserve. There he is. Right there. OMG. Well, and I mean, they, you have to understand the names on the cards are... The names... Any of the... Any of the... These are great. I mean, it's fine. So what I mean, about, like... So talking about credit cards, credit cards, Sapphire, like yeah. all these levels. What about the, um, like, Marriott Rewards? Are the, the Southwest Rewards? Or the Southwest so you really got to read. You pay... You, you get what you pay for, okay? You keep in mind... Well, this is a gimmick off, that everybody... Um, right, but you're getting your points by utilizing but, and yeah, it. Right? Yeah, yeah. So this, this, again, this is just marketing. I mean, no credit card's going to give you anything for free. There's oh. just no not. They're in the business to make money. Um, they want you to utilize your cards. That's the only reason. And a lot of people go for it or fall for it, depending on what they are. And you'll find that there's a lot of loophole restrictions and, uh, and problems with you know, getting points or utilizing it. So always read the rewards agreement line by line, which nobody does. They just check yeah. okay, and then 
they move on. So you really so got to see it, what the blackouts are. are kind, you, like on your Marriott wards. Lo- like, does it hurt a score at all? Or does it, it doesn't No, but you're help, paying but for it. it. Hurt. You're paying for it somehow. You're yeah. definitely paying for it. Um, so, but the chat. Let's say, let's say you, let's say you're paying 0.8 higher on interest. Okay. But you get a reward. So you see what I mean? It's, you're, you're still paying, paying for it. it. As long as you pay it off every month, though, you're not paying for it. Yeah, you're reaping it, all right? the benefits. But, but that's not, you're not the common person. Let's just face it. I mean, Most credit card business, everybody paid off on the credit cards in full every month. <laughs> they wouldn't be in business. They just, they just don't. And so, I figured like they're giving me you know, 3% rewards or 1% or whatever it is, but then they're charging the shoe store that I'm buying my shoes 3%. Exactly. Oh, yeah, they're, they're making their money somewhere. You're completely right. Oh, yeah, Marriott, I'm sure, plays. But if you also look at your Marriott rewards, it might say you can't use this on Christmas. The thing where from Thanksgiving to Christmas, sure. New Year's, you can't use it, you know, maybe in June and July on certain days. So around the 4th of July. So there's always going to be blackout dates, same with the Southwest and all that. But use it for what it's worth. I mean, if you pay it But it's better just to keep your money. If you can get a Marriott, if you can get, or if you can get a, that Visa card without the rewards and you get a lower interest rate or no annual fee, go with that card because pay for pay for the room by yourself. It's two hundred sixty five bucks. What do you deal? I mean, it might take ten thousand points to get yeah. one night, which means you got to run through thirty thousand, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars just to get that one room on the Marriott. Save the interest rate. Go pay for your room. You know what I mean? You're going to save a lot more money that way. So. Okay, so let me ask. You mentioned earlier that we should be checking our credit like once a month or once a quarter or whatever. Once a quarter, but I heard once a year. So are we at once a well, quarter? So again, I thought you said once a month once or a use a credit monitoring. Once a year brought because of the law. So the law, when it was changed, the Fair Credit Reporting Act was an amendment to the, to the law. Um, they made the credit reporting companies allow people to – they didn't give them access to their information. Nobody wanted – they don't want us fixing their credit. They don't want you knowing what's on your credit report. Right. You know, who's their, biggest, who's their biggest vendor? Credit card companies, right? I mean, they want you in the dark. Um, they, so for that reason, though, the law enacted – one thing Bill Clinton did great is that amended that Fair Credit Reporting Act. And he – it states – he gives us access to a credit report one a year annually. And where do you – where should we check it? So annualcreditreport.com. They can – you can get one from there. Annualcreditreport.com. It does not have scores. And the reason why right. it doesn't have scores is because it doesn't you don't it doesn't know what score model you want. It doesn't know what scores. But I can so see can if pay. somebody's been charging me a, a yes. medical thing or something. You better like that. believe it. Yeah. So you need to at least annually. Now a way that you can spread that out is get your annual credit report for TransUnion at the beginning of the year. Okay. Wait three months. Get the other one from Experian. Get one from Equifax. You're not going to be completely covered there because there are different things that are going to report on. TransUnion, Experian, Equifax. We have collection companies that will only report the collection on TransUnion because they know if you're going to buy something generally that requires, let's say, a tri-merge, it's, it's going to be on there. You know, they're going to get – they're going to show up as a collection. It's going to hurt you. So, you okay, know, by not getting all it, three, it's not But if you consistently check them, like say you check all three every quarter, I mean, does, does that hurt you? Well, here – so here's the fear that I always put into people. The average consumer right now in the nation has already had their information stolen a minimum of five times. Oh, yeah. So your I've private information – we joke and like say your private information. Yeah. It's not private any longer. It's like it's like a jumbo shrimp. It's, a, it's just not it, – it's, it's an oxymoron. It's private information. We laugh about it, you know, because mm-hmm. your information has already been stolen. If you've had – if you filed a federal tax return, they were breached. Uh, you you went to Target, you were breached. Experience? Home, Dep- Home Depot. Can we talk about experience? Equifax was a huge oh, one. Equifax, that just, yep. Equifax. They said only 12 million records. No, Why no. would they only steal one? Every single record was yeah. stolen from them. The funny thing apart about that is that they gave people, they gave people a free, a free uh, credit monitoring to LifeLock. Yeah, that didn't. They own LifeLock. <laughs> so now, 
Now you got them monitoring their own laws, you know, for free. And what people don't understand is when they sign that, they sign an indemnity, indemnification agreement in there that indemnifies Equifax from any wrongdoing or harm from so you breach. can't sue them. So you can't sue them. So you know that's really the the, the thing here is so we we recommend everybody has credit credit monitoring in this day and age. If you don't have some sort of monitoring, so um, who do you recommend for that? Because I feel like I've, I I yeah. don't know if it's a racket, if it's a good thing. It's a thing. huge racket. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, who you, you so, pick. Now so what? Credit Karma is owned by TransUnion as well. So um, they that's actually a genius thing. Imagine giving them some sort of giving people some crappy form of monitoring. And some some made up Vantage scoring model that that score pertains to nothing you buy. It doesn't match any FICO scoring model, so it appeases them on the score side and it appeases them on the monitoring. But it's never up to date. It's often completely inaccurate. And um, but and that's Credit Karma. That's Credit Karma. Oh, that's credit fine. Karma's okay. main purpose is to market credit cards and mine data. Imagine you just came out with a site that says I'm going to give you some crappy service. And for that, you're going to give me your name, date of birth, social security number, and you're going to refresh your credit report so that all my credit card marketing companies can see it every 19 days. It's genius. And everybody just went to, went to go and drink the Kool-Aid. You know? so, so what are the good ones? Is there any yeah. good one? So you want to find one that's not affiliated with the companies. I, I can post all that stuff for you. But, I mean, it's generally there's like Identity IQ is a third-party provider that is an affiliate with them. It's pretty uh, – it's pretty – I would say, um, you know, they're, they're unbiased. They're not, uh, they're not, there's no marketing. They're not going to market anything. They don't sell your private information to their business affiliates. So they're but not they data probably monitoring. probably costs more. Yeah, it does. Okay. Well, it does. And so we have, we have a deal um, done with them. They're usually about 29 bucks a month. Uh, and you get the same exact thing as you would with LifeLock. That's more like fifty nine or sixty nine bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a deal hooked up. We can I can post that link even where it's like twenty dollars a month. So we save we save a little bit of money on it. But uh, um, you know, it's, other uh, just research any credit monitoring company. They're all using the same platform. So they're they're all getting their information the exact same way as LifeLock and everybody else. That's just a different company. It's so hard to research this stuff because you Google it and the first. 30 responses that come up are okay. owned by the credit card companies or owned by someone who's making money on it. You know, it's, it's hard to research. Get down it. past the ads and, and watch out for the you know, 10 best credit monitoring companies. That, yeah. That's a marketing and advertising company that people pay in for, for yeah. ranking, you know. So. Okay, so let me ask you. Um, I uh, own rental property. If someone is late on their rent, I guess I'm not really telling anyone that, right? So should I be, should I be like turning – them in if someone's late on their rent so that it affects their credit i mean yeah well you know that that's going to be that's going to be up to the, up to the person so collections going to show up as a code nine it could help it could help you in collecting that debt um <clears throat> rental rental to this to date they don't have a scoring model for rental i mean they have a scoring model specifically for rental so you can subscribe to that service and you can actually pull up a FICO rental score or FICO rental report, which tracks data of any rentals of people who have reported. That's the key. So if you didn't report rental. But keep in mind, you can't collect for just one person. So if you have, if you have rentals where you didn't collect for one person back in, let's say, 07, and they find out about it, but you went and collected on another person reported on credit, that's not fair and accurate credit reporting. That's not equal credit opportunity. You're, you're violating their rights. Because if you do for one, you have to do for all. But you're, so. sen- you're talking about sending them to collections. Yes, sir. I'm talking about the person whose rent is due on the 1st and they pay it on the 12th. You know, should I just be doing nothing about that other than charging in their late fee? 
that's about all you can do at this point. Um, okay. Because then no one ever – their next landlord has no idea that they are this late-paying person. Well, if the landlord was is true, most landlords are going to pull a verification of mortgage from their previous person or find that they're in good standing. I mean, generally, you want to def- definitely do your due diligence and find uh-huh. out that, hey – how did this person rent before? Why are they on my doorstep? You know, and uh, yeah. how do they pay? How do they leave the apartment? I mean, that's just part of vetting your. We do that. Yeah. We do that. But they, I guess, I, I don't know if they paid late. Sometimes, you know. I well, think no, they, said, ver- they ask that. They ask the landlord that. Yeah, but if they pay late mortgage. and paid their fee, I'm. I don't mind it. I guess. I right. don't, actually, I do mind it. I take that back. Yeah. Well, it bugs you, but I mean, really, financially, what kind of distress is it causing you? And what's uh-huh. the cost of that? I mean, you can always up your. There's a there's a state limit for how much you can charge in late fees. You just max out the late fees, you yeah. know. So I mean, there, there's a way to. What's the late cover fee that. here in Missouri? Yeah, I don't, that I gotta say I don't know. I know that like a return check fee, I think maxes out at thirty five bucks right now. So okay, but I, so there's things like that. But uh, you know, knowing that, but vetting vetting rental. What I was getting to is, let's say there's some people, there are some scams out there that say, hey, pay us and we'll report your rent on your credit report. It doesn't do anything for your score because it's there is no. There's no line item now. They don't uh, accept them as a... It's not part of the algorithm. They don't, yeah, they don't accept okay. it as a vendor. You know what I mean? It's not a... a so it doesn't help any renter right. to have it reported. You can't, you can't legally pay to manufacture credit. So back in the day, they called it piggybacking. Used to, they had companies that had like ten to $1,500,000 limit credit cards. You can pay them, and they'll put you as an authorized user on the credit card, and all of a sudden, boom, you've got a $100,000 available credit credit card that was established in 85, and your score went through the roof. Well, that was called piggybacking, and... Uh, they they made that illegal and they took it out of the FICO scoring algorithm. So, you know, you can't oh manufacture. And now it's against yeah, it's against ever. the law. Or they were opening up, you know, opening up, you know, new things and co-signing with your social, which would show up again as a good account. So, yeah, any of that stuff is illegal. Now. One of the things I've noticed a lot over the years is the people that have gotten divorces. It seems to really hurt their credit. That's not a divorce isn't bad for credit. It's just what happens through the divorce, yeah, I guess, yeah. or what? Well, it's funny. So I went and just spoke to a panel of 15 attorneys, divorce attorneys, and you know, the, the, you know, the, the general consensus for people is they think if you're an attorney, you know everything. You know what I mean? Right. And, they, and they, they trust these attorneys to know. It's amazing how clueless an attorney is unless they specialize in one specific thing. Our attorney specializes in consumer rights and – uh, advocacy and and you know the credit reporting rights okay but he's not a family attorney okay so he doesn't know the ins and outs of that just like the family attorneys have no idea about credit Real scoring estate. and what it does mm-hmm. but you got to understand the first thing they do is you got two people mad at each other they have joint credit cards and they have joint bills mm-hmm. and the attorneys go stop paying everything we're going to go after them they're going to pay that and so what what they're doing is they're destroying the people's credit you know okay. you know the thing is they also now they start showing 30 day late and people think well who cares and the attorneys will often think, who cares? When the judge awards him as having to pay it or her as having to pay it, you're not going to be responsible for it anymore. Sure. You're legally not responsible based on a court order from a little circuit judge. No circuit little cir- circuit court judge, let's say, in St. Louis County. Oh, Judge Abrams in St. Louis County says, I don't have to pay it. Go try and tell that to Capital One and tell them to remove you as a responsible party from your credit card. Never going to happen. Never, never going to trump that. They have the right to report that on there. Here's the scary part is, let's say one of the spouses files for divorce. They're no longer responsible for it. All of it falls on the person that didn't file for divorce. So the, the reason why divorce is bad is probably just by misinformation from the attorneys. The best thing to do is maintain good credit throughout the divorce proceedings, let them divvy it up, and then 
and then uh, hopefully they do what they're ordered to do. But um, that's that's usually a big problem. So keep paying the bill even if your spouse goes on some spending spree out of yeah, spite or yeah, whatever. Yeah, document it. Believe me, you document it, and it's going to show. And in court, it could actually it could probably lend to your favor that you had to pay the bills the whole time. And this guy just stopped paying them, at, you know, despite. And, uh, you know, he was trying it's to just, look good. trying to just score, be... score credit. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and all the attorneys that I spoke to totally got it. They were like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, actually, that's a better tactic. And they and they understood that, especially, too, because let's say there's property and they don't want to sell the property and they were going to award it to, let's say, uh, you know, the wife or the husband. Let's say the wife is staying home with the kids and, you know, she's going to need to go out and get a job if that if that if that maintenance isn't going to cover all the bills. Well, so she's got to go out and get a job. Well, you know, let's say she's got to refinance it. They always put unrealistic expectations in there. In 90 to 120 days or in six months, she has got to refinance the husband off the, off the home. Well, if they destroyed each other's credit, you know, Adam, you'll tell us they got a bunch of, right. bunch of drag doors. They're not going to qualify to refinance a home. I mean, mm-hmm. their, their scores are going to be horrible. And mm-hmm. that's why we get a lot of divorcees and, 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 and for credit repairs because they're like, oh, my God, but my attorney said this. Or like, your attorney was wrong. You know, <laughs> that was just... It was just wrong, and, and so they try to refinance in six months, and often they can't. Well, now they're in contempt of court. And the problem is, is the only way to enforce those court proceedings and those, those uh, you know, uh, agreements is, is to go back to court again. And who wins when you go to court? You know, it's the attorneys, and that's it. Right. So, you know, that's, that's the problem with divorce is that, you know, if you can do anything amicably and maintain good credit throughout it, and then hopefully, you know, the attorneys won't string it out too long, and you'll be able to – you know, have and the other person will perform and they'll pay them off. But immediately closing the cards is usually the best thing to do. So, so try not to get a divorce. Right. Listen to our old podcast where we interviewed Joe Rossi. But if you're going to get a divorce, call Ben, right, and kind of get some guidance on how to process through the divorce. Ben, can you give us your contact information before we wrap up here? Absolutely. Um, you can reach me at my office at three one four six zero six eight two two one, or you can reach me uh, by email at ben at freedom credit solutions with an s on the end dot us so not dot com dot us so freedom credit solutions dot us and then uh your website we are www.freedomcreditsolutions.us all right so before we wrap it up i just have five questions that i like to ask all of our guests okay so ben who lives under your roof uh myself and my daughter okay and my dog yes oh your dog okay and where are you your best um, about midday, um, anywhere after lunch, you know, I could be anywhere as long as I'm, as long as I, I'm not a morning person. So. Okay. I love that you just knew the answer to that. Everyone always kind of does, isn't sure how like to answer pre- that one. So like, it, it, it seems like my energy level is best then. So I usually like to go to the gym at that time. I'm like, I'm like, you know, right after lunch, but not right after lunch, uh-huh. but, but you know, right yeah. as you, why is your food digesting? You got some energy. Eat lunch, come do some emails and then go to the gym. That's right. Hit the gym, knock it out. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a favorite blog or podcast? Uh, yes, yours I listen to religiously. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Uh, any other articles or websites that you read all the time? Um, there's a lot of boring stuff. Um, I like to keep up on, uh, you know, pretty much current affairs here uh, uh-huh. in St. Louis area. Um, Mortgage Bankers Association. I remember read that. Uh, okay. You know, business journal. St. Louis Business Journal. Yeah, stuff like that. So. Okay. What's your that guilty one. pleasure? Ooh. Um, sneaking out of the office to go to the gym maybe yeah i you know what i find that actually helps quite Uh a bit i don't think it's i think that really helps my game i'd say um 
I'm a big ice cream nut. I love that. I, don't, I, do, okay. I do like my ice cream. You what know, flavor? Give, What's your favorite flavor? Enough. You know what? It's all good. I mean, I, let's face it. Is there really bad ice cream? I, mean, I don't I, think so. I don't no, think so no. either. You know, so. <laughs> all right. And lastly, who is your mentor and how have you thanked them? Wow. My mentor, the one that I probably learned the most about sales and business from, his, he's a, name, a guy named Angelo Galasso. So he's he's obviously Italian. He's from Chicago. He was my last <laughs> boss I had in '98. I haven't had a boss since then. Wow. And uh, he uh, he's actually the uh, he's uh, godfather of my daughter. So I mean he's yeah he's like a dad. So he's a great guy. Okay. And uh, so is that your way of thanking him? I absolutely. guess absolutely. Honoring him, honoring him that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Any questions? Podcast at hermanlondon.com and let us know if you have any topics you'd like us to cover. And thank you for listening. And take care. <laughs>